How do cities respond during a financial crisis? How are the financial needs of a city balanced with the needs of its employees? How are agreements made between the city and its labor force? From the Chicago Policy Review in the University of Chicago, this is Chicago Policy Radio. So today we're talking with two people from Central Falls, Rhode Island, um, a town that recently exited from receivership uh, within the last six months. Um, we have Gail Corrigan, who was the, the uh, chief of staff, and we have uh, Joseph Andrioli, who was a labor representative from the fire department. And um, so Central Falls is considered a model in some ways about how to deal with the bankruptcy proceedings. And it's got a lot of like good press for how everything went. So do you agree with this assessment? Do you think that how um, Central Falls dealt with their financial problems is a good way to go forward for other cities? I do. On behalf of labor, I, I think the relationship that was formed between union and management with the help of Gale, I mean, I think that was the key. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a numbers game. It was really the relationship and trust of, you know, just coming together, seeing a common goal, and just fixing that goal and keeping it based upon what needed to be fixed more than uh, a bigger picture agenda, if you will. Okay. And I would agree. Uh, one of the uh, primary things is when you are in bankruptcy, uh, the, the receivership held all the cards. If we, if we wanted to, we could have just put in whatever provisions we thought fit, uh, and it was really the recognition of negotiating as a better strategy than litigating. Because obviously if we put something in that was not agreeable, uh, moving to a 401K or whatever wouldn't be agreeable uh, to uh, the, the unions, then we would have ended up in a litigation situation. So negotiation is always a better strategy than litigation. Okay. And so, I mean, there were cuts, and uh, the pensions of the union... Um, the workers were cut by over 55% in some instances. So how do you think this affects hiring of people in the future because the promise that was made is no longer in existence? Well, I think it was twofold, and it was two, if you will, two separate buckets. I think uh, Gail and her team did a great job with addressing the current and future members of the department, whereas, yes, benefits had to be rolled back, uh, but they're still a solid benefit, if you will. Uh, Raises were able to be given so that people still look at the current job and future uh, people who will hold jobs as, you know, marketable and something they would want to do. So in that respect, I think it it was a success. On the retiree side or the retiree bucket, the people who are already gone, I do have a little bit of issue with that because I think they bear the biggest burden because their pensions were cut by half. So if a person's been out 10, 15 years and now is elderly, you know, in their upper 70s, they have no Medicare because they weren't participants or have no Social Security, their whole livelihood at that point in their golden years was based upon their pension from Central Falls and their medical from Central Falls. So those are the people our heart, or my heart really goes out to. Do I think that it got mitigated better to what could have happened to them? The answer to that is yes, 
but I do think that it still fell a little shy from you know what could have or should have been done for them. I would agree that the retirees took the greatest hit, uh, but I would also say that uh, the pension cuts were up to 55%, and so there was a lot of uh, measures made by the state and by the receivership to soften the blows on the people who could least afford it. The city had paid into uh, Medicare, so moving people to uh, Medicare at 65, um, and we transitioned them. We had programs to do that. Um, We had programs, and also there was state legislature at the end that allowed a transitional time period of five years, payments to be made by the state for a five-year period, and that those retirees do get a a 2% COLA every year, so that hopefully in in, some time that they will get back to where they were. So one of the things that is often overlooked is the amount of effort that went into preserving people's stability. So the people who did get cut 55% were the people who retired in their early 40s, and presumably they they got a job and were paying into Social Security later on. Um, people who were elderly and were living off of less than 10,000 pensions you know, didn't get cut at all. Okay. So um, Rhode Island state law prefers bondholders in any type of bankruptcy situation. So how did this affect your negotiations and other state policies? Well, on behalf of the union, it was one of the main focal points of our negotiations where we were either going to go down two roads. Either we were going to go to a negotiated settlement that we could live with or we were going to litigate not only the bankruptcy, but in particular that law. We still today think that that law is unconstitutional and invalid because we believe that putting bondholders first is just morally and legally wrong. Everybody should have the same skin in the game if you are in a bankruptcy situation. Uh, So we're totally opposed to that, labor is. Uh, it's just that we don't have the opportunity currently to uh, really challenge it. Hopefully we won't, but if it ever happened again, a bankruptcy, that would be you know, right in our crosshairs to, to challenge that law. And for my part, speaking in part of the, the state and the receivership, I understand why they put that, that uh, provision into the law is that Rhode Island is so small and the idea that as goes Central Falls, as goes the rest of the state and the the concerns of the state and the state's uh, borrowing potential. So I I understand why it's there. At the same time, I also understand uh, the the difficulties it put um, taxpayers, everybody else that, that took a cut which includes taxpayers because they had to pay more than they could have potentially paid if bondholders were in the equation, unions, retirees, pretty much everybody except for the bondholders were affected, and so I understand the the frustrations. My job specifically, uh, it wasn't really affected because that law had been made and I had to live with it. And so the political system in Central Falls is pretty much intact. So how do you think this problem could be avoided in the future, or is, or is it just bound to happen again? Well, it may be bound to happen again, hopefully not in Central Falls, but, uh, but I think the political leaders have got to strike a balance, and, and I think that's probably the most important word that I can emphasize today is a balance, that there needs to be a balance between 
politics as we know it and sound financial uh, structures or sound financial planning and, and you know economics that work, that has to be balanced. You, you can't have one higher than the other. So hopefully, and it's only a hope as far as I can see, that hopefully some of those lessons will you know, uh, resonate with some politicians and future politicians and particularly the current mayor in, uh, in Central Falls to, uh, to strike that balance between politics and finances to make the city work because they're both important. Finance is important and politics, as you know from our founding fathers, is a very important piece of the American fabric. And so for my part, I'm hoping that the Central Falls Experience um, educated union and management on the importance of the financial consequences of, decision, of short-term decisions. So in terms of going forward, I'm hoping that unions, if they're going to enter an agreement that decreases the number of years uh, by five, from 25 to 20, that uh, they're aware that there are monies to support that and not let it wait for 20 years. And also that the management understands that they can't offer such such um, deals because they can't afford to. Well, thank you very much for talking well, with us thank today. Thank you. That was great. All right. Thank you for listening to Chicago Policy Radio, a production of the Chicago Policy Review and the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. This podcast was produced and edited by Daniel O'Keefe, and our theme song was composed and performed by Ryan Gee. You can find us at www.chicagopolicyreview.org and on iTunes. Thank you for listening, and please join us next time.